Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Help me. Holy Spirit, you've chosen to move through people. And we might think that wasn't the smartest plan because we're so flawed, but that's what you've chosen to do. So move through me and touch hearts, make things clear. Help me not to get in your way. And uh, you promised, Father, that you would give us the spirit to meet our needs when we ask for them. So we're expecting you to do something here today. Thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. I was worshiping, and uh, I hate to admit this, but my whole life, you might say, oh my goodness, what kind of a church is this? My whole life, the devil has attacked me with doubts about this whole thing. Have you guys been attacked with doubts? Anybody? Honest enough to admit it? <clears throat> and I'm worshiping, but in front of me, the people sometimes that really get touched deeply by the Lord, like they want to be at the front of church. And this thought hit me. This isn't true. Think about this. How can I, how can I express it? If this isn't true, then how come it works so dang well? Amen. I'm serious. I know crazy. I know neuroses. I know compulsion, addiction. If I weren't my family wasn't poor. I would have been a psychologist, psychotherapist, dream child. They could have gotten rich off of me. My mind is like Lake Placid. I have an incredible marriage. I'm friends with all my children. They're marrying Christian women. And then you guys, even sitting around me, the super transformed lives a lot of time, I don't have to look very far. And again, I don't like to embarrass people, but sometimes the people you see freaking out in church, worshiping, getting on their knees, crying. What are they doing? That's not very dignified. That's very much like a story Jesus told. Where one woman came into a a kind of hoity-toity religious guy's house and washed Jesus' feet with her tears. And the dignified religious person said, well, that's not appropriate. In an environment like this. And Jesus is like, oh, the, the bottom line is she's just experienced me in much deeper ways than you'll ever know about. Stuff is real. The devil attacks me, and I'm like, God, all right, I'm going to James it. Thanks, Lord. Thanks for the trial. I'm going to keep believing, keep pushing through it. But I get attacked with doubt. But then I was just worshiping, and I'm like, this isn't true. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? You know? He's real. And... If we were super traditional people, which a lot of us aren't, which is really fun. Some people, we're doing five baptisms today. And um, now your prayer request is that that water actually gets filled up. <laughs> it's coming really slow. We're trying to get hot water out of the water heater back there. But anyway, it'll work. But um, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? I was talking about the water heater. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, if you were, yeah. Okay. As I was saying, if you were a traditional church, but it must not have been important. Because it flew away. But we're not, obviously, we're not a traditional church. Uh, people who aren't from a traditional church don't know what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. So if the Bible says shout, they shout. If the Bible says kneel, they kneel. It's only those of us who grew up in church that have all these man-made rules and stuff, and then we squash it out of the people that want to celebrate. But the Bible commands you to celebrate, the Bible commands you to shout, and the Bible commands you to clap, and the Bible commands you to lift up holy hands. So when we're critical of that, and I know this offends people. Go read your Bible. See if I'm wrong. See if you're wrong. Because that's what happens when we're offended. We, 
we feel like our toes are stepped on. When we're offended, it makes us want to fight. But James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. If we were a traditional church, we would have grown up with something that you do on Resurrection Sunday, which has great meaning, although it can become a meaningless ritual, which is the leader says, don't do it until I say it. <laughs> the leader says he has risen, and then you say he has risen indeed. But let's just think about that. I say he is risen. And if we were doing it in a contemporary way, we would go, he is risen, uh-huh, or he is risen, <laughs> oh, yeah, or, you know, he is risen, word, you know, or something like that. Um, that's really, that's what we'd be doing. But if we're really thinking about it, anyone in here, you can raise your hand if you want to. Anyone in here ever, ever, before they found Jesus, suicidal? Anybody? Suicidal? You didn't think there's any hope. You wanted to end it all. Anyone in here in just total darkness and just didn't think they, anyone, any felt they were loveless, like nobody could love them because they were so trashed, right? Anyone in here bound by sin? Bound. Sneaking around, faking it in front of everybody, and then wondering, say, if they knew that nobody would love me. And I know God is right. Hopeless. Anyone in here just crazy? Lulu? Cuckoo, cuckoo. Yeah, I'm raising my hand. Cuckoo. And I say, he has risen. Anyone in here leave that junk behind because they found I've, I've, I've walked some of you guys right off the crazy train. And it was Jesus. There's a resurrection. We scraped some of you folks right off the pavement with a spatula. Street people, drug addicts, and it's, it's behind you. So when I say he is risen, and you say he is risen indeed, and you've experienced anything, you ought to feel it. So, he is risen. He is risen indeed. You want to give want to try it one more time and give him a round of applause for rising from the dead? He has risen. I think the devil wants us to be all restricted, but okay. So we're talking about the resurrection and I, I went to the back and made sure I had a Kleenex ready because I thought I might get a little emotional. Um, and uh, the subtitle is going to appear for sure. If, if things don't go wrong, you're in the wrong church. This is a church where things go wrong. So, and, uh, but let's see, got it. Are you ignorant? Um, sometimes if you read the Bible and you quote it, people say, how dare you say that? I'm just quoting Paul here. I'm quoting Paul and he's talking to Christians. And what he's asking them in this context, we're going to look at it in a minute. 
do you really understand all the implications of the resurrection? And in this particular uh, uh, context, he was saying, he was talking about the meaning of baptism. Um, maybe we could open the back door and like turn on the fans or something. It's getting a little hot. I see some people getting a little rosy toast in here. Um, but Paul says, are you, do you understand what this whole resurrection thing is all about? The implications for your life? Uh, I want to run through this real quick. We're going to be doing a baptism, so I'm, I'm going to focus on uh, the, I think, the central <coughs> baptism passage, probably in the teaching passage in the entire New Testament. Bible scholars, which is? Romans 6. I probably just said that, didn't I? Yeah, Romans 6. Okay. But, um, yeah, it's Romans chapter 6. It's one that you really ought to memorize if you're a serious Christian. But uh, before we get there, I'm going to look at the central good news passage. If somebody says, what's the good news? What's the Christian good news? How do you get right with God? The, the Apostle Paul clarified it in a statement and as concisely as he possibly could. Bonus points and a gold star for anybody can tell me where that is. Good. First Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul says, now I make known to you, brethren, the good news. And you're, you may in Christianese call it the gospel, but in Greek, it's the good news. It's really, really good news. Euangelion, the good news. I preached to you. You received in which you stand, by which also you're saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So here it is. I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, 12 others. And then he just goes on and on, talks about all the people that he appeared to. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and was resurrected. And the rest is just details. But it, but it centers on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, I, we got, we got family visiting and stuff and there's several aspects of the resurrection. I challenge you on, are you ignorant of there's people, um, going to churches this morning, virtually the entire church doesn't actually think it happened. They don't think the resurrection actually happened. It's a mystical, spiritual, allegorical belief. Maybe some primitive folks that weren't as smart as us believed it, but now we're enlightened and moved on. Now we're scientific, whatever, modern, postmodern. We're just beyond all that. Pocus, pocusy, trolls and fairies and demons and gods dying on crosses and stuff. All kinds of churches all over the country. And if you don't, if you don't realize this, even in this town, big, some of the big churches, the big historic churches, one's made of stone mostly. Um, the pastor really doesn't believe that. It's just called liberal Christianity, progressive Christianity, et cetera. And if you don't know that that's a fact, you need to do a little more study to see what's happened to the Protestant church. Um, for, for that, the first fact is that you shouldn't be ignorant about is that it happened. It happened. And Paul said, if it didn't happen, we're, we're the most to be pitied of all people because everything we're doing is ridiculous. It is, it is the, the focal point because it proves Jesus was everything that he said he was and he accomplished everything that he said he accomplished. And it's also the thing that gives us victory over sin and assures our salvation and our inheritance and all this and dealt the death blow to the devil, et cetera, et cetera. But first fact is I don't want to, I don't want to linger on this. You can do a sermon 
series of sermons on each one of these points. I want to get to the Romans 6 fact. But this one, if you have any trouble believing just in the historicity and the fact of the God-man, second person of the Trinity, becoming a human being and what theologians call the hypostatic union, and then dying and atoning death, death for you on the cross, if you have any, and then rose again from the dead, if you have any um, trouble believing that, I, I just want to do a quick ad here for a movie, which if you're in the church, you know which one I'm going to here. But uh, here is a, um, it's called The Case for Christ. This is just a, this, this just a super smart guy, Yale educated. Um, he, he got an advanced degree in law. He's a, a journalist, worked with the Chicago Tribune. His wife got saved and he wanted to get her out of the nut house of crazy born again people. So he actually said, I'm going to research this stuff. and I'm going to prove to her that it is wrong. This is a Yale educated legal mind. Go online, say best law school. Guess which one's going to pop up? Yeah, you guessed right. That was a hard question. Yale. And he was a reporter. So he's also an excellent thinker, excellent writer. He joined the team. So if you want to watch that process of how, and there's a whole bunch of people like that. You can read Nabel Qureshi's Seeking All of Finding Jesus or some older stuff by Josh McDowell. He's also a guy that wanted to be a lawyer and wanted to disprove Christianity and end up joining the team. It's just a historical fact. It happened. And uh, if you don't believe it, look into it. A lot, of, a lot of things we believe just because we've been listening to the nonsense of all the people around us instead of looking at stuff for ourselves. Look into the stuff for yourself. And be willing to pay the price. Maybe your family won't like it because you won't want to go to their church anymore. You don't have to come to this church, but at least go to a church that believes in the resurrection and preaches the gospel. So anyway, it happened. First thing. Are you ignorant of that? Or if, if you are, I would challenge you to start maybe with something like this. Um, but another implication, there's people sitting in here. If I were a betting man, I, okay, occasionally I I made a bet with Michael for 10 bucks and I felt really guilty and I won and I made it buy me a coffee. But that's the last time I bet. I usually don't, I usually don't bet. And I thought I'm not doing that again. Sorry, Michael, forgive me for that. But I'm not a betting man. But if I were a betting man, there are people in here who do not understand the implications of the resurrection for them personally. They may even say, yeah, it happened. I believe there was a God man who died on a cross, et cetera. I just don't know what in the world that has to do with me and my crazy and my sin and my failure and my hopelessness and my anxiety and my whatever, my issues, my darkness. No clue how that applies to me. And so this is this is where if you're ignorant in that regard, you need to pay attention. The resurrection is for you personally because it, it brings you into a relationship with God so that you can start tapping into all the good stuff. All the amens and the hallelujahs that you heard, people that were crazy, crazy, they're not crazy. People that were bound by sin, I mean, real sin. That's another thing when people come to church, there's no one in here like me. Go online and listen to some of the testimonies. There's people in this church who have had abortions, there's people in this church who have been sexually abused, there's people in this church uh, who are bound by every kind of sin, people in this church who are in jail, people who are, I mean, homeless, into all kinds of sexual perversion, addicts, substance, everything. And if you understand how the resurrection applies to you personally, you can just leave all that in your rearview mirror. If you don't, you can even believe it was a fact, but if you don't understand how it applies to you, it's not going to do you any good. So then that's the second point. It happened, but then what are the implications for you? And this is just a simple illustration here. A lot of people call it the bridge illustration. And uh, 
the death of Christ. What's that all about? A lot of you understood. He, you, you would say he died for the sins of the world. And somehow you didn't understand how you factored into the world. But this is just what Jesus calls being born again. When you understand what he did and how it applies to you. And you may have owned this, but now can you give it away? Can you give it away? And so how does the resurrection apply to you personally? Well, first of all, in this illustration, that's you on that uh, the far side. That's God. God's often um, depicted as a triangle because he's a trinity. That's just a symbolic way of, uh, you know, you don't want to put a figure because he's immaterial. But the problem with all of us is that we are wicked. And if you don't think you're wicked, you can't get right with God. If you're still trying to defend yourself, that you're a good person, you know the story of the emperor's new clothes? Where the emperor's actually walking around naked because he, these people have convinced him that he's got these fancy clothes on, etc. The only person you're fooling is you. You're not fooling anybody else. You're not fooling your roommate. You're not fooling your parents. You're not fooling your boyfriend, girlfriend. You're not fooling anyone else that you're this great, selfless, magnanimous, generous, Mother Teresa type person. You're not kidding anybody except yourself. And so the first thing you need to do is say, look, I've sinned. And that's what Romans 3.23 says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're selfish. We're corrupt. There's so many new people here. I'll do the old telephone trick. I have a uh, video of you on my phone. All your low lights. Darkest, dirty deeds. Lies. Things you would have done if you could have gotten away with. If you didn't have someone looking over your shoulder and uh, all the attitudes, hatred, unforgiveness, which Jesus says is a spirit of murder. I got it all here on my phone, but I don't even need all the, the could have done's because I got the actual dids on my phone here. And if I had this, none of you in here would be able to look into my eyes again. Are you really this great person? No, you're not. So we're, our problem is God is perfect and we're not. We're sinful. And even the good deeds we do, so often it's selfish. We're just working people. We're really kind to our boss. Why are we so kind to our boss? We're working him. We want a promotion. We don't want to lose our job, right? Why, why are the guys so, so nice to the pretty girls in the bar? Because they're just great guys. Because they're just kind. They're just nice. <laughs> don't kid yourself. Why are we so nice to our teachers? I used to schmooze my teachers because uh, I, I wanted a better grade. And then when I walked out of class, I talked. So, and, or I want people to see me do good deeds. Oh, a homeless person. Look, everyone, how tragic, a homeless person. I'm going to give him $20. Did you see that? Snap, snap, 20. Not 10, not 5, 20. I want your praise. I ruined it. It's not even a good deed. It's me, me, me. God says, you guys are way more corrupt than you understand. You can never dwell with me. I'm perfect. I'm perfect love. I'm perfect compassion. I'm perfect kindness. You're the antithesis. You're the opposite. You deserve one thing, which is death. The ways you sin is death. But God says the gift, the scripture says the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what the death of Jesus is all about. God says either someone's got to die for who you are and what you've done. And it's either going to be you or it's going to be me. And that's why Jesus took your death on himself. So you're on this far side of this chasm. You're never going to get to a perfect God on your own. I'll just turn my life around today and I'll be a good person. Good luck with that. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to be a good person, really keep all the rules. Has anyone ever really, I mean, really tried? How well did that work for you? 
I had a physical breakdown at 19. No, I just turned 20 because I was really getting turned on to God. I was going to do everything right. And I literally ended up in the hospital because you can't do it. The more you try to do good, the further you see you are not good. It's like the, the nightmare where you're running down the hall and it keeps getting longer. People that think they're a good person, honestly, you just never really try. Try to tell the truth all day long. Try to put others before yourself all day long. Try to love others as you love yourself all day long. Try to keep the speed limit. I mean, seriously, we can't do it. We can't be good people. Speed limit isn't that big a deal. I'm just saying, we can't. Try not to have a bad attitude. Try not to be proud. Try not to exalt yourself over other people. So our problem is we're sick, broken, sinful people. And God says, as you are, you're going in the trash can. Because that's not what I created you to do. I created you to function with life and light and joy and love and be a life-giving source to all the people around you. And you have failed. Big F plus plus for all of you guys. Or minus minus. You don't even get a plus on your F. You get a minus. And that is what the death of Jesus is all about. He said, look, you got to die or I'm going to die in your place. And that is the good news. He bore our sins and his body on the cross. So if we trust that God became a man and died on our behalf, we can be forgiven and washed clean. And if you've never heard that before, don't let it slip out of your mind. Don't let the devil snatch that thought away. You're sinful and either you're going to die for your sins or you're going to let God do it for you. And so then if we believe this, this is the bridge illustration. The wages of sin is death, Romans 3.23. Uh, uh, sorry, Romans 3.23 is all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23, the wage of sin is death. Jesus bridges the gap. That's the good news. That's, and uh, that, that's, that's the simple gospel. That's what Paul said. This is the gospel. Jesus died for our sins, according to the scripture. Uh, he, he was buried, according to the scripture, rose again on the third day, etc. But um, he didn't stay there. And this is where he kind of, uh, I don't know, I'd say pulled a fast one on the devil. The devil thought he was kind of snuffing out this perfectly righteous God man, getting him off the scene. And God says, no, I'm just letting you do the heavy lifting for me. I'm going to have you kill Jesus so that he can pay the atoning sacrifice for, make the atoning sacrifice for all of humanity. And uh, then he's going to rise from the dead. Wait a minute. Well, when we kill people, we get to keep them. Well, I mean, where's that in the contract? He didn't do anything that, you know, you killed him and he didn't deserve death. So he gets to rise from the dead. And uh, so basically what happened was Jesus knew all this was going to happen. And, and he said this in the Gospels. He said, I have other sheep. He's talking to the Jews. That's not, he says, I have other sheep. That's us. Someone in here may have some kind of Jewish background, but most of us are just like crazy, you know, the mountain people, Gentiles, right? The crazy tribes running around. We're not Jews. But, but Jesus said, look, Jews, I'm a Jew, and I came with the Jewish people, but I'm, I'm gathering everybody in. I have sheep. They're not of this fold. I'm going to bring them also. They'll hear my voice. They'll become one flock with one shepherd. God just has one people. No one, no one uh, has taken it away from me. He's talking about his life. I lay it down by my own choice. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay it down by my own choice. I lay my life down by my own choice. I have the power to take it up again. <laughs> So I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. And um, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to die for everybody, and then I'm coming out of the grave. I'm going back to my dad. I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to wait for all you guys to figure out what I did so you can come to the kingdom. And people go, well, I don't believe that. Why would God do it that way? Uh, how was he supposed to do it? 
if you don't, if you don't think this sounds plausible, what, what would you come up with? Okay, God's a Trinitarian being. All of us are damned and doomed. We got to die. He says, hey, one of us could die in their place, and that would take care of the dead. That's what he came up with. He died in our place. He let his enemies kill him, rose from the dead, went back, sat down at the right hand of God. And I, I've said this before. I don't know how an airplane works, and I still get on one. Go to Africa in about a month, you know. But get on, I don't know how I don't know how surgery works. If I do brain surgery, get a tumor taken. I, I don't know how that works. I'm still gonna go in and get surgery when I need it. I don't understand how all this works. It just does. It does. And God loves us, and He died for us, and that's how the resurrection applies to you personally. He died for you. Are you forgiven? Are you right with God? Have you crossed? Over into a relationship with God where he's just not, he's, he will never be mad at you again because there's nothing to be mad about. Because everything that he could possibly be mad about you for was put on Jesus, his son. Do you understand that? Have you taken advantage of that? And then to put an exclamation, uh, exclamation point on the whole deal, heroes from the dead. That's the gospel. So how do you get across that bridge there? Believe it. God so loved the world as you that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes has faith. That's it. It's not take a 10-week course, get a master's degree, get baptized a certain way, do 10 years of ritual. So believe. He loves you. He died for you. He rose again from the dead. You believe that today, boom, you're in with God. That's all there is to it. You're in. And you're saved as you will ever be. Now we get baptized when we make that decision. Help us understand what we've done. Baptism depicts a lot of things. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But uh, if you've never been born again, you're still on the outside. It doesn't matter how good you're trying to be. You're never going to get to God. You have to take advantage of the gift that he's, by grace, his kindness, grace, we're saved through faith. That's belief. Not as a result of works, so that none of us can boast. It's the gift of God. So that's another aspect of the resurrection. Are you, are you ignorant of the fact of it? Go watch that movie. Right, and then I can turn you on a whole bunch of books, apologies, etc. Are you ignorant of how it applies to you? Are you free? Yes. Are you at peace today? Do you know you're forgiven? Do you know you're under a smiling heaven? God wants to do good things for you because he's not mad at you anymore because Jesus took your punishment. If not, then you have not, then you're ignorant of the implications of the resurrection for you personally. And so now I want to go into this next aspect of the resurrection that I wanted to talk about. And especially for those who are getting baptized. Uh, again, we have five this morning. Um, one person is a brand spanking new believer. Those are, those are so fun because they don't have all this Christianese nonsense to bring in. And it's all just fresh and exciting. Um, one of them is a child whose father is very serious about discipling them and feels like at this point in his life, he's come to understand the implication of the gospel, which Jesus says that's how you get in. Another message I just told you about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Do you need a, a PhD in quantum physics to understand that? Do you think maybe a seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old kid can understand that? Yes, they can. Jesus said, unless you come in like a child, you're not getting in. So if you make it any fancier than that, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I deserve death. Jesus died for me, then rose from the dead. You ain't getting in. So there's a child. And then there's somebody else who said, uh, you know what? I got baptized when I was a kid for different reasons. Kind of funny. I'll steal your thunder. I did it at your wedding, too. I did it at a wedding. And I said something. She wanted to say, 
she's actually very competitive. And there was somebody in the church that was getting baptized. Oh, yeah, if you can baptize, I can baptize you. <laughs> so that was part of it. We get baptized for the wrong reason. And if we don't know what we're doing, then some of us say, you know what, I'm good and born again because I've accepted what Jesus has done for me. But I want to do this right. I want to celebrate the fact that I'm really born again, so I'm going to get baptized. And then uh, we have a, a couple other people that just need to do it properly. Um, and they've really come to the point where they just want to make a statement about the fact that Jesus is Lord of their life. And uh, they kind of knew the gospel and they're kind of trying to do things right. But now they just, uh, some people just really feel convicted that once all the pieces come together, I really want to, so we're going to be doing that later. But I'm going to talk about a third aspect of the resurrection was, do you understand the implications of the resurrection? This is for all of you guys who are born again. And for those of you who are getting baptized. Um, for living an overcoming life. A lot of Christians are saved. I believe they go in heaven. They're right with God. They understood the gospel. But Christianity is hard. <clears throat> so, anybody been there? Just hard. Man, no? Yeah. yeah. And it's because you don't understand the implications of the resurrection for your daily life. It's not, wow, I'm glad Jesus died, you know, rose again from the dead, and I have a ticket to heaven. I guess I got to keep all the rules now and try really hard to be a good Christian. Um, and so I'm just going to read what Paul says here in Romans 6. And this is after we're born again. Should we continue to sin? What should we say? Should we continue to sin? That grace or God's kindness might increase, which is what a lot of people who are born again say or don't understand really what happened in their soul when they're born again. Hey, if Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and God's never going to count anything I've ever done against me again. Why don't I just go out and be wild and crazy? Why don't I just keep, you know, playing the field and getting drunk on the weekends and cheating on my taxes and slandering people? Whatever. It's all covered by the blood. Amen. Hallelujah. Don't say it. <laughs> right? Paul's like, oh, my goodness. And this is where, this is where I got that quote from. May it never be. That we would say that if we're born again. Why don't I just keep sinning? I'm forgiven, just covered by the blood. He says, may it never be. Famous Greek line of Paul. Meganoito. Meganoito. May it never be. <laughs> How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you ignorant? And this group would have to say, uh, yeah, Paul, we're ignorant. We don't know what the heck you're talking about. We don't understand why we can't go out and be wild and crazy if Jesus has covered all our sins. And you'll even see people preach our, our kind of uh, bad mouth New Testament biblical Christianity by saying, yeah, people that teach that you're born again, they just think they say you're saved, once saved, always saved, you can just go do whatever you want. Paul would say, only ignorant people. In another place, he says, why would you keep doing all those things that made your life so much fun? All those things you think are so fun? Let, let's just, let's just, do a little sleuthing work. They ended in death. They ruined your reputation. They ruined your relationships. They made you feel miserable about yourself. That's what got you started drinking. He said, why in the world would you want to do that stuff? So Paul's like, are you ignorant? If you understood the implications of the resurrection on your daily life, you wouldn't be asking this question. So I'm not going to look at anybody, but maybe you're ignorant. Maybe you don't understand how the resurrection helps you to live an overcoming, victorious, fun Christian life. Your Christianity should be fun. 
it's hard at the front end. Yeah. So we love about having fun. It's like, well, you've just been safe for like six months. So God's having to do all this tear down and rebuild stuff. But after you're safe for a little bit, it really gets fun. But uh, so Paul says, are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? So we have a baptismal tank here. and We can kind of use this as a visual aid. And those of you who are celebrating your salvation through baptism, you can kind of think about also the implications for uh, baptism and how it connects to the resurrection um, and how the resurrection is going to help you be a more holy, powerful Christian. So, but he uses baptism as the picture. He says, when we're baptized, it's like a picture of death and resurrection. So all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. We've been buried with him through baptism and death. So those of you who are getting baptized today, <coughs> this is your burial service. This is your funeral. The funeral of the old you, the sinful you, the dead you, the destructive you. This is your burial. Buried with him through baptism and death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So again, there's nothing magic about baptism, but baptism helps you understand some things. If you're united with Christ, his death became your death and his resurrection became your resurrection. And you have to stop being ignorant of that fact and latch a hold of those things by faith or you're not going to experience the reality of it. So Paul says, oh, your problem is you're ignorant. You don't understand that there's something about Jesus' resurrection that can infuse new life, new power into your life. We've been buried with him through baptism into death. So as Christ was raised, here's the resurrection part, through the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, which is saying, yeah, I, I, want, I want Jesus to die on my behalf. So we become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly, Definitely, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So it's not just that he's taking your sins away by dying. His resurrection gives something to you. It imparts something to you. And a lot of Christians don't realize this. Like, oh, man, I'm so glad my sins are wiped away. I'm just going to hunker down and wait for Jesus to come back. It's like, no, you've got resurrection power now. Paul prays in Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. The eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Christian, I pray that you'd wake up and realize, and he goes on, the hope of your calling, the riches of the inheritance of, in the saints, etc. But he says the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, born again people. So your sins, the power of sin was broken through his death. But you also have the potential to live out your Christian life with resurrection power. Oh, it's so hard to be righteous. Not if you understand that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Oh, it's really hard to tell the truth. No, it's not. It's the Holy Spirit in you that will enable you to tell the truth. And he also changes your desires. He does all the heavy lifting. The Holy Spirit's in me. And if I know that, I say, okay, Holy Spirit, you're in me. Do your thing. Uh, you change me so that I, I'm a saint now. I'm not a sinner. Uh, by the way, in the Bible, saints aren't people that go through a rigorous obstacle course of life and they try a lot harder than everybody else, so we, we deem them saints. In the Bible, anyone who's born again is called a saint. A saint, that literally, the word just means a holy one. So if Jesus takes your sin away, that makes you holy. So we're all saints. 
So check this out in the Bible. The, the apostles write letters to the saints in Rome, to the saints in Philippi, to the saints in Galatia, etc. That's just how it talks about people, the apostles. Um, address their audience. So those of you who are really born again, you're saints. But your sins are washed away, and that's what makes you holy. But you're also infused with the very life of God, the very power of God, the very person of the Holy Spirit. And his spirit is made one with your spirit. So he changes your desires, and he gives you a new power to live a holy life. I know I'm speaking really fast, and some of you are getting it, some of you aren't. But if you're a born-again person and you haven't got your head around this, then come talk to me. Come talk to my wife. Come talk to some other leader in the church. You better figure this out. Are you going to be a born-again person who's miserable? Like Paul in Romans chapter 7. Oh, what I'm doing, I don't understand. I'm not doing what I want to do, and I'm doing what I don't want to do, and et cetera, et cetera. Who will set me free? And Paul's like, look, if you weren't ignorant and you understood that you had the power of the Holy Spirit in you, You've been made one with the Holy Spirit, and the power of death and sin has been broken. Um, and, and you embrace these truths by faith, things will get a lot easier for you. It's called walking in the spirit. So he says, if we've been united with the likeness of his death, which baptism pictures, we shall also be united with the likeness of his resurrection. But if you're ignorant of it, you can't believe it, and if you don't believe it, you don't get it. So everything works in the kingdom, you got to believe it. It's called faith. That's your receiving mechanism in the kingdom of God. There's all kinds of blessings that you could be having if you're born again. Some people don't study. They don't find out what's theirs. They're not experiencing much. I sometimes say they're like a, a they live like a street child eating out of trash cans when they could be in the palace, you know, living with the king. They just don't know it. They don't know what's theirs. They don't know how to get access to it. So these kind of things, you have to know it, then you have to believe it, and then you'll experience it. So then, so Paul's correcting Christians that are ignorant. And then he says, knowing this, our old self, that old Jew that was inclined towards sin, that was so destructive, that was bound by sin, was crucified. There's something mystical, mysterious, supernatural that happened when you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That rebellious you has been rendered, <laughs> the, the power and the authority of it over your life is taken away. If you believe that, the power and authority of it is gone. If you don't believe it, you'll still live like it's there and it still has power of you. You have to know it. You have to believe it by faith. So the old self, the sinful self, was crucified in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Actually, some Bible interpreters say the best way to understand this is put out of a job. You'll still feel the pull of that old sinful you. You say like, you were fired, dude. You got no authority. It's like someone coming into your job. You know, you work at McDonald's with the burgers and the old manager was a jerk and caused a lot of trouble. And so they hired a new guy. The new guy is this great manager. The old guy comes in, hey, clean this up and do that. And like, You're not my boss anymore. So that's what Paul says here about your old sin nature. It starts bossing you around. You're like, what are you doing? You're like, I'm under new management. You're put out of a job. Amen. The Holy Spirit is the one that calls the shots now in my life. So shut up and go back in your hole. You know, a lot of Christians don't understand it, but just believing these things, it works. It makes it work. It unleashes power in your life. That's what the Bible says. So that we'll no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. When did we die? We died with Christ. So we're free from sin. We rose with Christ. So now the life of God's in us, and we can live a supernaturally empowered life of righteousness. He changes our desires. He gives us the power to do it. And he makes it fun. If you're not having fun, you've got a lot to learn as a Christian. Jesus said, I came to the might of life and have it 
to the full, abundantly, not grit their teeth, slog through life, try really hard, I'm miserable, live in a cave, be a monk, wear sackcloth, starve themselves, crawl underneath to the Vatican, whatever. No, I came to the right of abundant life. Great relationships, great marriages, great families. Fulfill their destiny. It's just everybody has amazing gifts and use them and bear a lot of fruit. So interesting story. Here's a guy named Jeremiah Lampier, and there's a great revival in the mid-1800s. And we don't study revival anymore in our churches. We don't talk about revival anymore in our churches. But New Testament Bible-believing Christians used to have experiences that looked much more like the Bible. From I love the period from 1720 to about 1920. The Holy Spirit would come just like he did on the day of Pentecost. You know, the day of Pentecost came, you know, the, uh, this mighty wind shakes the house. There came a noise like a violent rushing wind. It filled the house. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people get saved. Well, from 1720 to about 1920, Bible-believing Christians like us all knew that God would do that and could do that. And if things were getting really lame, you know, in the church, like they are now in America, then Christians would all pray and cry out to God, and the Holy Spirit would come in power. A lot of pastors don't even know this happened, but just studied that era. Um, and uh, this is a guy named Jeremiah Lamp here, and uh, things were getting kind of lame in, in New York, and his church was on a, uh, a street called Fulton Street. And he said, well, things are kind of lame, so what we need to do is get people praying. So he <laughs> went around passing out tracks, trying to get everybody to pray, and he said, let's get together at, I can't remember if it was 11 o'clock or it was noon, it was noon time. And pass out all these tracks and he's praying 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour, one person shows up. And then by the end of the prayer time, I think there were five total. Not a very auspicious beginning to this prayer thing, but then people started trickling in. And I, I got the numbers here, but I can't, I can't go over them all. They started trickling in and they started filling the room. And then they started filling two rooms in the church. They started filling three rooms and other churches said we ought to do this. Then every single church in New York City was jam-packed with people praying at every noon. And then every church across, in every major metropolitan area across the United States, this is America had 30 million people in it this time. This is the 1850s. Jam-packed with Christians praying that God would change culture, God would change hearts, God would. This really happened. This is all history. And uh, James Edwin Orr, who's like the greatest revival historian, I think, probably ever, he estimated that after that year of a, of a country of 30 million, over 1 million people had given their lives to Christ. So that's a revival. That's a, that's a move of the Holy Spirit. God wakes up his people and a bunch of people get saved. And uh, just for those of you who are a little more history buffs, that's when D.L. Moody got lit up and called into, you know, the kingdom was, was in that revival. He became the greatest evangelist of the 19th century. But um, all these people were saved. <clears throat> and yet there was kind of a, a widespread ignorance in the church about, okay, now that we got all these people fired up and saved, people are having a hard time figuring out how to live a holy Christian life. I mean, we, the thing was, is there's way more than a million actually, because to get church membership and to get on the rules and actually count, you had to like pass the scrutiny of the deacons or the elders of the church. And Deal Moody didn't even pass the first at his first crack. So I mean, they were tough, but it was way more people got saved. But they're like, we got holiness issues. How do we how do we teach people holiness? And are we missing something? And so what this is, this is a picture of um, 
what's called the Keswick Conference. And you got all these Christian leaders together. They're seeking the Lord. They're trying to find what's the key to holiness for Christians who are truly saved but are struggling. We can't figure this out. The Methodists had their ideas. They were teaching this kind of one-shot holiness experience that you're supposed to have called perfect love. Or The old Methodists were pretty cool. They're, they're not anything like, sorry, the liberal progressive Methodists today. Most of them don't even, they don't know John Wesley from John Bunyan. But um, or Paul Bunyan, for that matter. But um, anyway, they were really cool, but they're still like, it's, we're not getting this to, we're not figuring out how this holiness thing can work this out. Um, we understand how the resurrection applies to the individual and salvation, but uh, we're missing something. People are struggling. They're, they're not, it's not fun. They're, and so in mass, it was like the church of people from all kinds of denominations. There was this kind of awakening among the great Christian leaders that we like to read about, Amy Carmichael was the first missionary sent from the Keswick uh, Conference. But people like Andrew Murray, every, every big hitter, A.T. Pearson, all these great, great, um, Moody was affiliated with Keswick. There used to be a conference center in, uh, I think it was Florida, Moody Keswick. But the, this Christians, why do great <coughs> Christians, their eyes started to be open to the fact of what this, what I just explained to you. And Romans 6 became the centerpiece for Christians understanding how to break through from, yes, I'm saved, but being a Christian isn't any fun, and I really stink at this, and I'm really ashamed of myself, and I'm always failing. And they started getting this truth about holiness. It is by faith laying hold of the resurrection power of Jesus that is inside of you, and stop trying to do it on your own. In the same way that you accepted Jesus, what did you have to try to do to receive salvation? Nothing. It was all him. And they also like to quote this verse. As you have received Christ, he says, Lord, which is by faith. So walk in him. You walk in him by faith. I'm going to rely on the resurrection power of God today. I'm not going to try. God, I'm going to try to tell the truth like I'm, like I'm doing a set on bench press. God, I'm going to try to do 10 reps. And if I get stuck, oh, come on, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me, help me, Holy Spirit. No, it's not that way at all. Jesus, you're doing it all. You're giving me the desire to tell the truth and you give me the power to tell the truth. And uh, I'm just going along for the ride by yielding and allowing you do, to do in me what you want to do in me. This was the secret and these conferences started exploding all over the place and the Holy Spirit started coming in power and people were maintaining their denominational distinctives. You have Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists, but they're all discovering. <coughs> it is the understanding the power of the resurrection for me in my daily life, and that the, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in me, so he can help me. He can help me tell the truth. He can help me walk in purity. He can help me stop drinking. He can sort out my mind. He can help me be humble. He can help me to apologize. He can help me to be honest. All these things that we have such, well, basically they're impossible to do on our own. Uh, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in me, so I can do it all. Well, they discovered this, and this, this Keswick thing, which almost nobody knows about. And a lot of people write articles about it, bad-mouthing it today. But I think they're ridiculous. Because if, you, if you do the research, um, these are the heavy hitters that started all our schools and denominations. They were all a part of this. And the presence of God came. But I just thought, don't feel bad if you're ignorant of this. I mean, all these, all these people that went through this revival and saw this great work of the Holy Spirit, they were all ignorant of it. And then the Lord had to open their eyes to the reality of how does the resurrection help me to be godly, to be Christ-like. I don't have to try in my own strength to do it. 
and then just ask God to kind of take the edge off of it. No, I'm going to let loose that love of God within me. God is the one that helps me to understand the word. He gives me the new impulse to do right. He gives me the power to be right. He gives me the power to be humble, to be honest, to confess my struggles, to love, to be sacrificial, everything. He does it all. And so this is, uh, this is what I want to emphasize this morning for you guys. And I thought it'd be appropriate as we have a baptism, just like we're going to put people down in the water. Realize that that's sin nature that's causing you guys fits. It was dealt the death blow. Believe it. Amen. And a new power invaded your life. So like when you come out of that water, think about the fact that the Holy Spirit is in you. He raised Jesus from the dead. He overcame death, hell, all the forces of evil. Can he help you quit drinking? Gossiping? Can he help you be humble? Be you? Of course he can. But Paul's like, we got to grab a hold of this by faith. So we got some baptisms to do, so I got to bring this on home. This is how it ends. If we have died with Christ, not we're trying to die with Christ, we're trying to put our old self to no, we have died. It's a past tense thing. You got to believe it for it to work. We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. The life that he lives, he lives to God. So consider yourselves. Dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, are you ignorant? Do you believe the resurrection happened? If not, do a little research. Uh, Acts 17 says God gave proof to all men everywhere by raising Jesus from the dead. Look into the facts. Do you understand how it applies to you in salvation, which is we're celebrating this morning with some people? Uh, do you understand that his death became your death for sin so that you can have a relationship with God and new life. And then for the rest of you who are born again, are you ignorant of the fact that you are trying to be a good person in your own strength instead of by faith tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit who makes it much, much easier. So uh, that's, I think that's all I got. Yep, no more slides. And 